when I was young, I didn't really appreciate the structure that education gives people in life. Like it gives you a, a foundation. It gives you a, a balance that, you know, nobody can take it away once you get it. You know what I mean? And I just feel like psychology is probably somewhere I want to go after this. Like psychology is something I'm very interested in. And um, if not psychology, maybe something in the same lane as counseling. Like I like what they do here as far as coaches. Like I feel like keeping people on a track where they can achieve success is something that I feel like is very vital to people. Like there's a lot of people who feel that nobody believes in them. And I like the confidence that the coaches instill into the people here because a lot of people need that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't wake up on a high horse or on a, not a high horse, but on, on that note where they feel like they're ready to accomplish something with every day, you know? So to just that constant drive is, I feel like, very important in the success rate in this program. Like, because people come in here every day and it's a new day every day. Dear listeners, welcome to the 13th episode of the One in Four podcast. My name is Bea Spadaccini and I'm one of your co-hosts. The voice you just heard in the intro to this episode belongs to Darnell, one of the many students enrolled in the Goodwill Excel Center. This is a tuition-free adult charter high school in the District of Columbia, which plays a critical role in transforming lives and restoring hope for a better future. The DC Center is part of a network that was started by Goodwill Industries in the state of Indiana back in 2010, with the goal of boosting education across all levels. The Excel Centers are public charter high school designed to fit the life circumstances of adults, including men and women who come out of the U.S. prison system. The topic of this episode is education and reentry. You probably already know that many correctional facilities across the nation offer inmates a variety of educational programs and classes. The choice of what is being offered, however, varies from facility to facility and from state to state. In some cases, those who are incarcerated can enroll in college courses and even get a degree. But in other cases, there are very few worthwhile programs available behind bars. Yet many studies conducted over the years indicate that quality education in prisons reduces recidivism and better equips people who are incarcerated with the tools they will need to succeed upon release. However, because of the social and economic circumstances that often drive people into the prison system in the first place, many still re-enter society ill-equipped and without the education necessary to succeed in, that, in the workplace. Not to mention the fact that people who come home from prison have different ages, and sometimes going back to school is quite scary and can carry stigma or shame. Last year, I went to visit the Goodwill Excel Center, which happens to be located right behind the headquarters of the World Bank, in the heart of the District of Columbia, just a few blocks away from the White House. There, I met with several students and with Chelsea Kirk, who is the Executive Director of the Center. We're one of the only adult schools to have a high school diploma with career certifications and college classes. We are from a model in Indiana called the Goodwill Excel Centers, and they have about 14 schools there. And then there's other Goodwills that open schools. So there's some in Arkansas, Missouri, um, Texas, Memphis, 
and a few others starting to pop up. And so we, our Goodwill CEO went to a visit on Indi- in Indiana and saw this school and she kind of saw the mission and vision and was like, we need to open one here. And there's the need and the desire for one here. And so because of the need from having over 60,000 adults in this district without a high school diploma, and obviously the illiteracy rates and other things that come from not having a high school diploma, there's a need in DC for a school. And so we serve 360 students in the course of a year at the Goodwill Excel Center. You also serve a lot of people who have been incarcerated, Who, correct? Yeah, so we do not discriminate. So anyone who's ages 14 till 100 or older can apply here. And a, a great amount of our students are students who have spent time in the juvenile or the adult justice system and are took a break from school because they were had to from not being in the city or being away and then coming back. And then we also actively recruit from different organizations that support returning citizens. And we enroll five different times a year. So if people are coming home from different times of their in incarceration, then they can still apply and come to school. What has been the experience so far in this two and a half years with the graduates, for instance? And do you have a way to keep in touch? Are you planning to create some kind of connection so they can, the alumni can continue to support each other? Awesome. So one of the big things here is that we're such a community. So when students come here, they love being part of the community and oftentimes sabotage happens and they don't want to leave. So our goal is like you're here, you're part of the community, but at some point the goal is to graduate and to move on with your life. And our um, the charter board keeps us intact for that and accountable because one of our goals is your follow-up. So we follow our students for six months to get them in college or certification programs or in jobs. And as to this point, we have always met that goal. So over 65% of our alumni are in jobs, college, or certification programs. And then we track them for six months, and then we continue to be an open door for them. And then we have alumni events on site here, like our college and career expos, our vendor relations, different resources that alumni can always come back for. A lot of the students who attend the Goodwill Excel Center in the District of Columbia grew up poor and lived through experiences of intense emotional and psychological trauma. What the school provides is a safe space for learning that does not judge or label students, rather provides them with the support and grounding they need to re-enter society and build a brighter future for themselves. When I met Darnell, he shared a bit about his re-entry journey and what it was like for him to grow up in New York City. Re-entry is... It's hard for anybody, but my reentry was a little bit different because prior to being incarcerated, I had been abscondering for about nine years, nine or ten years. So I was kind of living off of the grid for a long time already. So I had been incarcerated as a child, as a as an adolescent, and I feel like it came from a lot of economic situations like growing up in a poverty-stricken community, not being taught, you know, the true definition of right versus wrong because everybody's so defeated. Everybody has such a defeated mindset that, you know, they look at going to prison as like a badge of honor because they're forced to look at it as a positive versus a negative because they know it's inevitable. So most of my older friends and older cousins and most of the men that were actually like present that could have been good role models, they had already kind of been tainted by the system to where they didn't see any hope either. So when you're dealing with a community full of hopeless people that are supposed to lead the youth, it's kind of hard to expect anything close to success. You know, like people don't understand that, like nobody chooses to go to prison. Nobody chooses to sell drugs to their own color, to their own people. Like these are things that have been 
instituted into our community. You know, like a lot of people don't know about financial independence. So they don't understand that the reason why they're broke is because they don't know how to budget. Like it's not because your friend sells drugs that he has more money than you. It's because of the fact that he might have abused a little cheat, a little, a little, a little glitch in the system. And he's abusing that for personal gain because he might not know any better. But once you have any type of understanding of, you know, um, cause and effect, you know, I feel like the means never justifies the end when you look at the amount of time that you spend incarcerated from one of these drug-related crimes or, you know, whether it be robbery, whatever you're doing to escape poverty, you know, because desperation usually makes the worst type of people. And prison is supposed to rehabilitate. Yeah, but that's kind of a joke because, I mean, a lot of the crimes that people go to prison for, they usually just learn how to do it better. It's it's kind of bad because if you put a misbehaved toddler in a room full of other misbehaved toddlers and then expect them to come home as a behaved toddler, that's that's crazy. What world do we live in where we think that that's really how you rehabilitate a person? You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of programs that are actually helpful when you're in jail. Like, they they teach you how to be their idea of productive. You said you grew up in New York City and that you've uh, seen over-policing in the community where you grew up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, my brother was shot and killed by the police. Uh, they shot him seven times through his back. And I just feel like, you know, when somebody's been shot in their back, it's a clear message that they were trying to get away. You know, so I, I always hear when I talk about this that the protocol is supposed to be to shoot to maim, but they shot him to kill. And I feel like because there wasn't a social media presence like there is now, there weren't body cams, that murder still goes unanswered. And I feel like there's a lot of cases like that where, you know, the reason we see so many police shootings now is because people have the, the, the ability to record it but it's been happening forever like this is nothing new like they used to send young southern whites north to be police officers because they wanted potential clan members to be in the police force they wanted they had an idea of who they wanted police in our communities and it's, it's scary it's sad what education can do is to break the cycles of violence and addiction a high school diploma is the first step for gaining more specialized knowledge and being able to market oneself in different sectors. But academic knowledge and counseling really go hand in hand at that Goodwill Excel Center because of where students are in their lives and what they may have endured. Having a history of addiction, for instance, is common for many of them, as Yolanda's testimony highlights. What led you to be in the system? Drug addiction... I can say the selling of drugs um, and just not really not having a focus or no guidance or, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do with myself in life. So it just led me. I just was in the streets. Did you have family support? No, I didn't. Not at all. I was, you know, at most, you know, with if you're a continual, you know, disappointment to your family, sometimes they just give up. You know, so I was on my own, basically, and while incarcerated. You know, some, you sit in your cell and you cry, you pray, 
you hope and you wish like for a better outcome. Did you get any support for your addiction while you were in prison? No, I did not. Unfortunately, they didn't even offer that. They sent me to a central treatment facility, but they didn't offer treatment. So, and of course, incarceration is not treatment. It's not help. So, unfortunately, once I was released from jail, I went back to drug use. Because that's basically all I knew. That's what I was used to, is drug addiction. How was your re-entry like, the day you walked out? Um, It took a while. I didn't get right back to life. Unfortunately, I fell back into drug addiction because there was no help, no assistance, no one to turn to, no family support, no outside support, no programs, nothing. So I was lost for a while. A, a long while. Was there trauma on their side? How do you know what, uh, how it impacted them? Yes, my 16-year-old daughter suffered from a lot of depression. She had a lot of suicidal thoughts while in foster care. My seven-year-old, he was four at the time. He now suffers from mood disorder, you know, because he was traumatized from being taken away from the only people that he knew, which was us. I mean, they seem okay now, but my now seven-year-old, I do have him. He sees a psychiatrist. He has a therapist. My daughter is seeing a therapist. I, of course, am in therapy. My, when they took my kids from me, they ripped my heart out of my chest. And it's sad that it has to get to that point where your kids are taken away in order to receive any assistance or any help. Yolanda's story as a formerly incarcerated mother who left her children behind when she was sentenced to prison is common, as is the pain caused by that abrupt separation. This type of emotional trauma is one of the many barriers that returning citizens often face when they are readjusting to society. Marcel Parker, who is an academic success advisor at the Goodwill Excel Center in D.C., helps students cope with these challenges, while they pursue their education. What my job is, is to try to manage and or eliminate barriers. Usually we work with barrier management. And through that, what we try to do is uh, eliminate any obstacles that don't have to deal with school or education. One would be housing. Um, A lot of times relationships get messed up when folks come back home sometimes. I would say the ability to get a job, because it's very hard with a record, especially in Washington, D.C., drug use sometimes, mental health, you know, emotional health, those type of things, and the feeling of inclusion, trying to re-enter an individual back into this space. Sometimes individuals come home that don't have a family structure, and so when they come home, it looks like they don't have any support. So originally what it does is we give people an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to support you. Okay, and then we'll go to the Office of Returning Citizens and use some of their resources. If it's pressing, it's usually because you have to be a D.C. resident to go to this school. What do you like most about your job? The thing I like the most about this job is seeing the transformation process. Um, I think that's slow and a lot of people don't get the chance to see it as intimate as I do, because it's a day in, day out grind of people progressing especially in, in, in accomplishing things that they probably all but forgot about. Um, this school, and by, you know, an example of that would be an individual who is, let's say, 40 years old, 
who never thought that they would come back into a space like this and do something like this. And then you start to see the transformation in them um, and them starting to accept the level of success that they're actually achieving and how that can be applied in other spots in their life. But it also, it sounds like what's really cool about this school is that there's really many different types of situation and context and stories that mm-hmm. these people come here and find themselves here at one point in their life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it can be anything from I'm 70 years old and, uh, you know, I have great grandchildren and I just want to finish this to I'm 17 years old and school and bullies and things like that. And this is just a safe space for me and everything in between. For returning citizens, they're people, they're a benefit to society, not menace to society. You'll never know who had a checkered past. Most people's employees and people that they work with every day used to be that kid that did whatever they wanted to do. And now they could, you know, run your corporation, could be your neighbor. And, you know, you would never know. This is most certainly the case for Kiana, one of the students I met at the Excel Charter School in Washington, D.C. At one point in her life, Kiana was a campus police officer at Howard University, a job that she kept for over a decade. At the same time, Kiana was also part-time correctional officer at the D.C. jail. Although she had never completed high school, she had managed to get these jobs because she had used a fake diploma. Things started to change ever since she had a bad accident and broke her femur. After a long recovery period and a painful one, with the help of her sister, she started to walk again and decided to become an emergency medical technician and enrolled in a class that was free for district residents. So four weeks into the class and I only had two weeks left, um, the lady who organized the class from the fire department, she called me to the office and told me that upon... um, Entering the class, I had gave her a copy of my diploma. She needed the original with the seal. I didn't have the original to give her, so I never returned to the class. And I was kind of down about things because it had been a couple of years. I had a daughter, and I was thinking differently. I wanted to get back on my feet. Do you want to share a little bit of what happened between being a correctional officer and then ending up on the other side of the wall or the gates? Yes. So... Life started changing. Well, I have a background and my dad was a drug dealer. So I lost my dad to the streets in 89 when I was eight years old. So I had my uncle and me and him were pretty close coming up. Um, He was like my second dad. He was my dad's oldest brother. He was the only one that wasn't into the streets and wasn't, he always worked an honest job and he was a supervisor for the government for years and things like that. And, um, He stayed on top of me, like, do the right thing, this and that. But during the time when I caught my charge, which was in July of 2018, he had passed away. My uncle passed away, like, maybe a week before I caught my charge. And I found myself doing things out of the ordinary, like, drinking, drinking, drinking uncontrollably. It was like, he's been keeping me grounded for all these years. Even when I had my daughter, it was like, you don't have to be like the family, you know, you can go the other way like I did. You can just work, do what you got to do. You don't have to be in the street. And he kept me out of the street by keeping a ear, I mean, keeping them, his mouth in my ear. So it was a big deal to me when he passed away. So I decided to drink one day, drink one day at my cousin's house. And she said, 
Kiana, don't drive. You know, you can take an Uber or wait, and I'll take you home in a little while after the kids go to bed, because she has kids. And I said, no, I'm ready to go now, and I just need some air, you know, and da-da-da-da. And I just left. And when I pulled off, I wasn't speeding. I was driving too slow. I was driving so slow that the police pulled me up. I was doing six to eight miles per hour. So when they pulled me over, they kept saying, ma'am, have you been drinking? Have you been drinking? And I was like, non-responsive. I wasn't even supposed to be behind the wheel. And I had so much anger in me that I should have dealt with before drinking or getting behind the wheel. But I caught uh, driving under the influence, which is a DUI in the district. So let's talk about education and what that means for you, coming here, getting a degree, your aspirations for the future. This is my testimony. So... Um, school is very important to me. Like I stated before, um, I had a car accident. So I felt like I was, and when my reason for joining the EMT class, because after healing, it took me a year and 45 days to learn how to walk again. My sister had just came back from war from Afghanistan for two years. My sister after me and she, um, she would come to the hospital every day and wash me up personally, you know, and, um, things that the nurses didn't really have to do. She took over and everything and stuff like that. It was a big deal to me. So I felt like I'm always giving, 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 but I never seen what was coming for the future. I said, I got to give back. So I wanted to go into the medical field for a long time now, but was only able to go do things to a certain limit without a diploma. So when I came back to school, I said, I'm going to take this opportunity to get to lay down this foundation, the foundation, which is my diploma. And from my foundation, I can build. And that's how I thought about it. And um, I just feel like I want to help people. My vision is just to help, 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 help. I want to be hands on saving lives. The Goodwill Excel Center in the District of Columbia brings together students from different age groups and life experiences. The staff understands that many of their students come into the program with various skills and have been out of the classroom for quite some time. I asked Chelsea, the executive director, what makes the Excel Center unique compared to other adult education programs across the nation. Our model is just that we understand you need your high school diploma and want it, and you're coming back to us. So we thank you for trusting us and coming back here. But we understand that you need strong relationships to then build out the trust and continue. So our school model is five eight-week terms, and it's not a year. So five eight-week terms, eight weeks, because you can succeed in anything for eight weeks. And so even if you're not doing, if you, for example, in a traditional school, if you're in five classes that are all year-long course and you're not doing well in them, you have to suffer through that for a whole year. So here you have eight weeks and you can find success in small tidbits. We also have five award ceremonies a year. So we are all about celebrating these small wins, big wins, and making a huge deal out of attendance out of re-entry, not re-entry, well, re-entry, out of attendance, out of overcoming barriers, out of being professional. And I think oftentimes our students, um, they come with such strengths that they don't see themselves. And so for us, our job is to show them their potential, but faster. 
and then hone into it so that they then feel that and then grow on their own. And I also think we approach success really differently. So in most school systems, success is graduating and you're a number, you're a metric. And here you are a story and you're individual. And so we need to get to know you, but at the same time we have an outcome for you, but we can't choose your pathway. So you need to choose how you're going to commit to us. And we're committed to you by the time you step in here. And I always tell people it's a given. If you commit to us, you're going to graduate. We need you to write your own story and we're going to co-write it with you until you trust us enough to then say, here's what I want to do. We can't like empower you enough. And I think for us also, our whole purpose is to create an opportunity where you're exposed to way more than what you're used to. Also going to say at graduation, our babies, who we call, so if their parent graduates, the babies or the YMCA children also walk across the stage with them. So that's something that we really pride ourselves in, that we're not just about the student, we're a family, we're intergenerational. We are looking for generational impact beyond just the student who goes here. I asked Yolanda, the young woman who was incarcerated when her children were still very young, what education means to her and to her family at this point in her life. It means everything. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is your way to build a career, a job, to be successful, self-sustaining for yourself and your family. So it's everything for me. Everything. Because I've... I've, it took me 21 years to get my high school diploma. I'll be 40 this year, so this is a big milestone for me and for my children. They're happy. They're proud. Goodwill, I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, they offer so much, so many great opportunities. Like, you just will have to take advantage of them, open yourself up. Like, you know, be candid, be transparent with your needs and you know, what you expect for yourself and your educational goals. It makes it unique because they not only offer daycare assistance, but if I, ha I have a three-year-old that comes to school with me every day, transportation assistance, clothing, like they help a lot. I love like the staff, they're so engaging, like loving, helping, they help you network, like jobs. It's, this school does everything for me. If you think Yolanda's story and that of the Goodwill Excel Center need to be shared, please consider donating to our season two, Reentry Amidst a Pandemic. We encourage you to check out our newly launched website that Tim made. You can find us at www.1in4podcast.com. I'll repeat that, www.1in4podcast.com. We would love to continue this media project and expand our mission and platform. But in order to do so, we need your support, especially for our season two. We will be launching our season two soon in collaboration with five members of the Speakers Bureau of the Community Family Life Services, a local Washington, D.C. nonprofit that focuses on providing trauma-informed services to women returning home after incarceration, survivors of domestic violence, and homeless families as they move towards self-sufficiency. There are many ways that you can support us through our website. One, you can donate directly towards season two through the Community Family Life Services website, and the link is on our website. Two, you can become a patron of the One in Four podcast and select a monthly tier that works best for you with the perks that come with it. Or three, you can become an official sponsor of our season two and you get to advertise your business in one of our upcoming episodes. Again, thank you for listening. Please follow us on social media. 
and stay in touch.